I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What is going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. As you know, if you've been listening with us, I am James Milley, the co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States, and one of the top resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. Today, we've got Preston Smith here with us on the mic. Preston is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to show up and follow through on your goals. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to hear what he has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. All right, so we are back here with Preston Smith, and we are ready to change the way that you think about your art career. Preston M. Smith's artwork over the years has transitioned from moody pop surrealist paintings into vibrantly colorful, tactile, highly textured, and almost edible abstract works. Preston's work has been showcased alongside David Lynch and at the inaugural Purple Ball for President Obama's inauguration in 2009, where he was commissioned to paint 12 portraits of the president. Recently, Preston is coming off of a successful solo exhibition at Shockbox Gallery in Hermosa Beach, California, and his first two showings at the LA Art Show in downtown LA. His work has also been selected by a panel of curators as a winner in the first 2018 Slant Art Prize Showcase and has been on display at the world-famous La Luz de Jesus Gallery and in numerous exhibitions throughout Los Angeles and around the country. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Preston. Thanks, James. It's, I'm really happy to be here. And we're very excited to have you here as well. Now, before we dive into it, Preston, I want to ask you something to help our listeners get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? Probably growing up in the movie theaters. My dad had a little small chain of independent movie theaters and just growing up there, being inspired, visiting the theaters and playing in the auditoriums. But ever since I can remember, I have been drawing and doodling. I have so many just sketchbooks filled with little doodles. I used to draw all these like monsters and skeletons and stuff, <laughs> which is a, a far cry from what I'm doing now. But I used to feel like we'd have these long trips of about eight hours, nine, 10 hours. And I would just spend the whole time drawing and doodling. Those are a few of them. Like I mentioned in your bio, some may say that your works are almost quote unquote edible. What a delightful compliment that is. Can you help us visualize what that means to you? Yeah, definitely. I've heard that many times, actually. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. But for me, it's really exciting because I always talk about art being 
a success if it makes somebody feel something. What that means to me is people automatically want to interact with my work. They're drawn to it. It's tactile. They want to touch the texture, you know, the vibrancy of the color almost feels like candy sometimes to people. And they almost want to put it in their mouth, which I love because I'm always you know, encouraging collectors when they buy a piece. I'm like, make sure you touch this. <laughs> you know, how many times you, when you go into a gallery, do they say, don't touch the artwork? I'm like, please touch the work. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, and also what you said about just, if it makes somebody feel something, then that's kind of this this benchmark of success. I, I completely agree. That's, that's kind of the whole point of art. So what are three ways artists out there can show up for themselves and follow through on their goals? Well, this is very important to me, showing up and doing what you say you're going to do. Like I always talk about a superpower for artists, and that's one of mine is just being able to follow through. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And you don't know how many people I hear say, oh, I'm going to sell this many pieces, or I'm going to get in this gallery, or I'm going to do this show, or I'm going to start a podcast. But how many people actually follow through on that? So it's like 50% of it or more sometimes is just showing up. Now you can show up in your art practice, which means, you know, creating your work, getting into your studio, creating consistently. That's very important to me is consistency, both just with the creation and you know, getting the sheer volume of work, but also uploading your stuff. If you sell your work online, having a consistent presence is very important. I also say that, you know, with your commitments, whether that's like familial commitments or with your friends or in the art world, showing up is very important. If you say you're going to be at somebody's show, or if you say you're going to be at one of your own openings, you know, you should be there because your word is basically all you have in life and your reputation. So people are going to want to work with you when you follow through on things. Also, just with your goals, that's a major thing. That's probably the third biggest one. I always talk about lists, creating lists, crossing off lists is so enjoyable because it's like, oh, look, I'm making progress. And I think it just kind of trains you to show up more and more. But I also think showing up for yourself in a weird way can be as you get busier as an artist, as you start to become more successful as an artist, showing up can actually mean saying no to some things too. You don't want to spread yourself too thin once you get busier and busier and busier. Like I just turned down a show that a friend was curating, even though I really wanted to do it. And I love this person. It was just too much on my plate and I wasn't going to be able to give my all. So I had to say no to this. That is also showing up because you want to be able to commit to whatever you're doing with your art. Yeah, no, absolutely. So showing up for whether it's your studio or or online, kind of just the presence that you have, making sure that you're consistent with that and then showing up for other people. So if you say that you're going to be somewhere, be there, sticking through and following through on your goals. And then also for that last one, I would kind of say it's showing up for yourself. Like as you're growing, don't just let everything pull you in every which way direction, you know, make sure that the reason that you're doing it and the things that are going to help you get where you're looking to go, make sure that you're focusing on those and not just saying yes to absolutely everything. I think that's some really good advice. That's right. I mean, for example, I know some artists in LA who they just go to every show and LA is a huge city and you can just, I mean, you could spend all your time going to shows and that's great. And you can develop relationships that way. I think it's all about balance, but if all you're doing is going to shows, how are you striking a balance in your own life with your own creativity, creating work, doing your own shows, you know, just staying centered, having, being able to be there for your family, your loved ones, you know, your spouse. I think it's just really important to have that ability to say no sometimes. My next question, what is forced creativity and how is it useful in an artist's daily practice? 
Well, it sounds kind of negative when you say forced creativity. It's I know those are my words, but it actually is positive because I think there's a misconception amongst artists and amongst people who you know, think of artists, how they create. It's just like, oh, we're just waiting for the muse to strike, right? And the muse, first of all, I'm not sure I really love that term, but whatever it is, inspiration, waiting for inspiration to strike. I think it was Chuck Close who said that inspiration is for amateurs. I don't 100% agree with that, but I do think that as a professional artist, you're going to have to learn to create when you're not inspired. And sometimes you're having to force yourself like, just get in the studio, get some muscle memory going. If you get in there, I'll put like a blank canvas out or wood, whatever I'm painting on, just arranging the studio and getting ready will sometimes get the juices flowing enough to start painting or working on something. And sometimes even if that's not happening, I'll just force myself to start painting and then I'll listen to myself in the moment like, okay, where's, where's this telling me to go? And sometimes those end up evolving and becoming some of my best work. So another way of kind of cultivating this in your own life is like, I used to have this thing with my friends when we used to go out drinking, we'd come back to my place and we'd write and we would do poetry in the moment. Like we would just completely sit down. I would write a stanza and I would grab a friend and be like, don't think about it, read it and write. And then they would sit down and, and read it and write and then not think about it, not edit themselves. And then, you know, pass it on to the next friend until it came back around. And so many times these poems ended up being great because you weren't overthinking them too much, but it's also a great way to kind of get that muscle going, like exercise that muscle of becoming creative, even when maybe you don't feel like being creative. Even if you don't feel creative in the moment, letting yourself make it happen, you know, like you will kind of get into that creative mode once you, once you get going. Totally agree on, on not just waiting for your muse to kick in and, and for inspiration to strike because in order to be consistent, especially like with, you know, artists who are wanting this to be either their main career or, or a side career, it needs to be consistent. And creativity is in its natural form when you're not kind of pushing for it. It doesn't always happen consistently. So yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. That's awesome. Yeah, I think action, I don't remember which movie this is from. I, I reference a lot of movies, <laughs> if you haven't told already, if you haven't found that out already. But it's um, action is the enemy of thought. And I think that's so true. I think as artists, our biggest enemy sometimes can be just our inner critic and the mind and the chatter in the mind of like, oh, no, no, don't do this. You're not feeling it. You're Or this, don't, don't do it this way. You have to have a preconceived notion. I think the better we become as artists is parallel with how good we get at like quieting our inner chatter. Yeah that inner critic, that inner voice, that's just kind of getting in the way of you doing the things you want. It's, it's very real. You are definitely your own worst enemy when it comes to art. Getting past that is, is kind of the goal here. We are going to come right back and Preston is going to tell you more about what you want to know about deprogramming, limiting beliefs, and much more. But first, another message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. 
To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. Preston, you run the Living Artist Podcast and an amazing episode that you just released was on deprogramming those limiting beliefs that we tend to have that we were just talking about. What are five ways that you can focus your mind and reprogram those negative beliefs? I would say you can't deprogram or you can't, you know, get over like old programming or limiting beliefs without first being aware of what's going on in your mind. This is kind of a parallel with what we were saying earlier, but like a lot of people just can't even witness what's going on. Like they're not even aware that they're having these limiting beliefs or these programs that have been running since childhood even. And for me, that's why meditation is like the first step big time. You can do it other ways, but I think meditation is like the fast track to being able to figure out like what's going on in your head and also just being able to sit with your head. Most people don't even realize how much their mind is chattering away and like limiting them and, you know, becoming their own worst enemy. So what I do is I meditate. I try to meditate three times a day for about 10 minutes. Um, I also have like this uh, interval breathing technique that I came up with that just really focuses you, but it's a great way to kind of like observe your thoughts and go, Oh, okay, this is just a thought, you know, I'm not going to judge it and let it go. But what you do throughout that process is you learn how to see these thoughts when they come up and go, Oh, there's that thought again. Oh, okay. Here's that limiting belief that's coming up again and again. So that awareness is the first step because it allows you to kind of focus in on it and figure out what it is before you can change it. So that's the first one. And then going further with that, and I have a couple of these on the podcast, like visualization exercises and guided meditations. I kind of combine them. So a lot of times when I'm doing my breathing exercises now and my meditation, I'll actually visualize something that I want to achieve. Like, let's say your limiting belief is like, you can't be successful as an artist. Well, then you do a visualization while you're breathing of you achieving what you want to do, whether that's gallery representation, or I want to expand my collector base. You know, I want to sell 400 paintings. You know, you visualize yourself doing that every step of the way while you're breathing. And that just kind of gives you a, a positive way to kind of focus your mind. And then once you also discover these limiting beliefs, like some people do like morning pages, some people do affirmations, daily affirmations. That's another great way to, to get over it. Once you realize what that limiting belief is, you can kind of counteract that with some affirmations. But another big one for me, and this kind of goes back to um, some Tony Robbins stuff, which is called interrupting the pattern. He always talks about neuro associations and things like that. So you cannot interrupt a pattern that you don't know is happening or that you're not aware of. So first of all, once you realize that, like I used to have a very negative pattern running in my head of like, I was like the tortured, starving artist and you know, I have depression and I couldn't get past that. So what I started to do was when I realized myself falling into that funk, I would just force myself to get up, interrupt that pattern. I would do jumping jacks or I'd put on some really like lively, exciting music and get the blood flowing, get some oxygen in. All of a sudden I'm feeling pretty good and it's just completely changed my state. So that's really a good way of doing it also. And then I would recommend uh, Byron Katie's work. She has a great thing. She's kind of like a spiritual teacher, a spiritual advisor, but she has this technique called the work. And you can find this online. It's four questions you can ask yourself. And it's just challenging those limiting beliefs. It's like, is this true? Can you absolutely know this is true? How do you react when you believe this? And what would you be without this limiting belief? And that's really powerful when you start to break it down because you're kind of breaking down these limiting beliefs 
And then you figure out a way to turn it around at the end. Like, what's the opposite of this? Like, oh, oh, artists are not supposed to be successful. Artists are meant to be successful. Artists are meant to thrive. So it's kind of a nice way to break down the thought process, but also turn it around and, and, uh, and be very proactive. And then one technique you can do, for example, since we're talking about success, let's just keep on that. We can do this. There's like a technique of like, let's say you're worried about making money as an artist. Okay. Maybe you have a limiting belief that's been in, in your mind for ages. And it's also a cultural belief. Like artists don't aren't good with money. Artists can't make money. Artists are supposed to starve. How many times have you been told, oh, you're not going to be successful till you're dead? Ha ha ha. I used to get that all the time when I was waiting tables and I hated it. But so you can do this thing where you have like, you visualize having like a hundred dollars in your pocket. The first day you spend that on whatever that is, whatever you want. Like that could be art materials. It could be something for a loved one. Next day, you double that $200 and you just keep spending it until it gets up, up, you know, 400, 800, keep on going until it's an exorbitant amount of money. Now, what you're doing is you're basically just changing that belief and you're starting to kind of figure out ways that you would, how you would thrive with a bunch of money in your pocket. And it just starts to kind of change that inner uh, monologue that you have running. So that's like five or six, but they're all very powerful, but it all starts with self-awareness and being able to kind of figure out what's like, like learning to listen to your own mind. Absolutely. And like you said, you can't really do any of these until you first acknowledge it and realize that you have these thoughts. Taking what is going on in your mind and flipping it upside down, standing up and doing some jumping jacks or uh, playing some lively music is like, it's so easy to do. If you're unhappy if you if you smile like your muscles will actually like you'll become happier so it it, like allow those feelings to be real but then you know what's the next thing how are you going to get past that and especially with limiting beliefs like you just pass that and get on to the the beliefs that are going to help you get where you want to be for sure for sure and and what you're talking about is almost like a little hack right it's a little you know, they always tell you to, oh, stand up straight. Your posture has so much to do, like force a smile. They even talk about when you go on interviews to do that power pose where you you stand with power, you put your arms up to the, you know, to the side up to the air and like look up. Those things are all supposed to just trigger a different emotional state. And that's very powerful. Absolutely. Preston, we talked about it in your, your bio, but I want to go back to it. So like I mentioned, you were commissioned to paint 12 portraits of President Barack Obama at his inaugural ball back in 2009. 12 years later, can you tell us the story of how that opportunity arose and what that experience was like for you? I can't believe it's been 12 years, first of all. Yeah, there was it was an amazing experience. It's still, to this day, one of my favorite experiences I've ever had as an artist. I was basically living with a friend of mine who we were waiting tables together. He came to me one day and just said, hey, I have a friend who's organizing this event, President Obama's inauguration. And they have like, I think they had 10 or 11 different balls that the president's supposed to come to on that day and just, you know, make an appearance. I guess they had an artist for this event and this artist flaked, which goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Showing up. Yeah, exactly. So this artist didn't show up. Uh, it was their loss. And and this guy was scrambling to find somebody. And so he talked to my friend Ariel and he said, do you know of anybody? And he's like, well, yeah, my roommate and one of my best friends is an artist. And he said, oh, great. Let me look at his work. He loved my work. And he said, can you, we're on a tight you know, timeline. He said, can you paint 12 original paintings of the president and have them all dry in three weeks to be able to ship to DC? And I said, Yes, I can. And then I freaked out because if you, I don't know if you use oil paints, James, but it takes a while for those to dry. 
And he wanted them to be basically duplicates, almost like he wanted them to be a little bit different, but have the same feel and the same composition. So I basically had to recreate the same painting 12 times. Every waking moment I had that I was not at my job, I was painting. And it, it was just a blur, like looking back on it, I can't even remember how I did it, but I was able to get it done. I was ha- I had all these fans set up around the apartment, like drying each piece. And I think by the time I finished, we must have just gotten it, you know, under the wire, like able to ship because he had to ship them without, you know, damaging them with the oil being, I, I did paint it very thin just so it would dry a little faster. But anyway, so I, I did that. And then these paintings were supposed to be gifts for celebrities who were, you know, attending the inaugural purple ball. And I was invited. My friend and I got to go. It was like a black tie event. I got to meet a lot of these celebrities that were supposed to be getting these gifts. Like one of my heroes, Ed Harris, who at the time I was watching Pollock all the time. Like I I just loved that movie as an artist. I thought it really captured so much of uh, the creative state. And I thought he was great in it. And I got to meet his wife who played Peggy Guggenheim and they got a painting and Ashley Judd got a painting and Josh Lucas, Amy Brenneman, a bunch of people, Il Devo were there performing. It was just amazing. It was a phenomenal experience event. But I will say on the flip side, it was interesting because at the time I was very green when it came to business. I didn't know anything about business. I wasn't you know, taking the reins at all. I was just like, I was creating and I was kind of waiting for things like this to happen. Like these magical, like, oh, moments where somebody comes and finds you and says, look, we want to give you this amazing opportunity. And so, yes, I did it. And then it was kind of like, I came home, I had an interview or two, and then it just, it was like back to work, like back to the restaurant, you know, waiting tables. And it was almost like some things that were supposed to happen, like I, Oprah was supposed to be there. A couple of things like that didn't happen. They were supposed to be filming a behind the scenes, but I mean, it was still like an amazing event. I'm so grateful for it. It's still like one of my favorite things, but looking back on it now, I would be like, I would have taken advantage of this. Like this was kind of pre social media. I think MySpace was there at the time, but we weren't, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have stories. We were, we didn't have this tool at our fingertips to just get these things out there. I would have been filming like stories behind the scenes when I was there, I would have been taking pictures And I also just didn't know how to write a press release at the time. I didn't know how to turn that into something else. So it still is just a phenomenal story and an event in my life. And I'm so grateful for it. But it was also a learning experience of like stepping up my game moving forward. It was like the the seeds were planted there. And it took me some time to still figure it out. But it was, I would probably say it was about three years down the road where I really started taking the reins. But it was one of those things that it was like heavy depression sunk in when I came back because, you know, you think, oh, what an amazing opportunity. And I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because it was, it was phenomenal. I love it. I talk about it. I'm so grateful for it all the time. But it was also such a great teaching device for me because I did, I came home and I just said, well, great. I had this amazing experience. And now what? This, that could be it. Like that could be a once in a lifetime thing. So it was a really nice kick in the butt to, to really ramp up things a bit. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Preston, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, let's go ahead and bring it home for our listeners out there with one more question. What is a call to action that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I would say to visit my website, which is www.pmsartwork.com. Those are my initials, PMS. And that's how I sign my work. I have my podcast on there, the Living Artist Podcast, all my work, you know, press stuff that I'm doing, you know, just check out my Instagram too. Uh, Actually, all my social media is just at PMS Artwork. So you can find me anywhere. 
to all of you business artists out there, Preston has been here today sharing his amazing perspective. You can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at superfine.world. And like Preston just mentioned, you can connect with him at PMS Artwork on Instagram and also www.pmsartwork.com. Uh, as always, remember that we are Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram, and we always appreciate when you take a moment of your time to share your experience and and how much you love the artist business plan on Instagram, on Apple Podcasts, um, wherever you listen to uh, you listen to the show. It helps other artists find us, and we really appreciate it. As always, I'd like to wrap up the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. The quote is by Gustav Klimt, and it is, art is a line around your thoughts. Preston, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you again for sharing your perspective with our listeners. For that, we are so grateful. James, thank you so much. Absolutely. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day, and remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there, and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Yeah.